Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Uh, of course, there, it's, it's there in our bulletin as well if you want to just read it there, Luke 11, verses 37 through 44. So a few weeks ago, uh, there was this uh, news article headline uh, that said this, a 20-month-old sheepdog named Casper fights off and kills eight coyotes that attacked his flock. <laughs> And the article goes on to detail how Casper, who is a, a great Pyrenees, fought off a pack of coyotes who were threatening the sheep in his care. And if, if, if he hadn't have intervened, the, I mean, the coyotes would have had the sheep. And so Casper went to battle. The farmer said that Casper fought for 30 straight minutes, uh, leaving eight dead coyotes and his own body bloodied and torn. They're like, talk about fierce loyalty to the flock. Talk about a good boy, right? Well, this morning, like Casper, we're about to see what Jesus does when his sheep uh, that are in his care are threatened uh, by coyotes. Uh, And now, of course, the gospel tells us that on the cross, Jesus faced and killed our ultimate coyote, right? The wrath of God for our sin and the power of Satan. Uh, Jesus faced that. Uh, and as a result, he too was left bloodied and torn, and, and when he died, talk about fierce love, loyalty to his father and to his flock and his care. But before the cross, we see here that Jesus also battled some coyotes, uh, granted coyotes dressed in church clothes. The Pharisees and scribes or lawyers were all very well-respected people. You know, they were seen as the leaders, as the shepherds of God's people. If anyone cared for the flock, if anyone served the flock, it was them. And yet, here we see the sobering reality that we see every day as well here, that sometimes church leaders, instead of fighting for the sheep, really just fleece the sheep, right? Uh, And Jesus goes to battle by exposing them. This morning, And so you know over the past few weeks, Elon Musk has steadily been uh, added exposing some of Twitter's misdeeds in the past several years. Um, the, then another man exposed the social media celebrity, the Liver King. If any of y'all know about the Liver King, if you don't, ask Josh Reagan. He'll tell you all about the Liver King. The Liver King is this guy who has a, a little bit of an extraordinary lifestyle, very bulky, ripped guy that lives off of eating raw liver and raw food, raw meat. Um, and he claims that to have you know, these this massive muscles and, and health is from his unorthodox yet, uh, quote, natural uh, diet and lifestyle. No PEDs whatsoever. Well, it turns out um, his blood work revealed another story. And so this is what was exposed, that he's practically a walking, talking cocktail of steroids, testosterone, and other PEDs. And and so Jesus, in our passage, he is going to fight these coyotes by exposing exposing them. He's saying, look, I've got the blood work. I'm about to show y'all what's really going on uh, underneath. And and look, lest we think this is just, this is something that happened a long time ago. This is a sermon about some history lesson 
Please know that Jesus' words, that these woes are for us today. Because unfortunately, the first century Pharisees and scribes don't have the monopoly on being coyotes, do they? False shepherds, pastors, elders, deacons, church leaders uh, abound today who instead of serving Jesus and caring for the flock, honestly, they really only care about themselves. Uh, Their ministry, their platform, their influence, their service is really all about them. And it's a, it's a large known fact that narcissists love pulpits, uh, they love titles, they love offices. So there's that, okay? But then also, this isn't just for church leaders, this is for all of us this morning because, well, because of the fall, uh, there is a coyote in all of us, isn't it? And so we all need to hear Jesus' gospel call to coyotes, to sinners like me uh, and like you. And so with that, let's hear God's word. Luke 11, 37 through 44. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So Jesus went in, reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, notice that you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God, those you ought to have done while neg- without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues, And you love the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. This is God's word. Uh, So let's pray uh, before we we walk through it. Uh, Father, this morning, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, Open the eyes of our hearts and and hide these words deep in us. Uh, Father, forgive the one who teaches his sins, for it's great, it's many. Uh, Lord, help us all to see you, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. You know, if we hadn't, sorry, if we didn't have the scriptures or some degree of historical documentation about the Pharisees, it'd be very easy to assume that the Pharisees would be all about Jesus, because Pharisees weren't the upper class, like they weren't the 1% like the Sadducees were. Uh, for, for the most part, Pharisees were salt-of-the-earth people. They were working to middle class. They came from generally the same type of people that Jesus came from. You know, they were typically more conservative, uh, extremely committed to pursuing holy living. Actually, before you could become a Pharisee, uh, you had to undergo a year-long trial period in which I guess the other Pharisees kind of watched you try to, to keep the law of God, your ability to keep the Old Testament. And after you pass the test, at some period of time, full entrance into the Pharisaical community meant pledging. You, you would stand and take vows to observe all the laws regarding purity and tithing. Tithing's a big deal for Pharisees. We're going to see that in a second. And so Pharisees were the ones trying to keep Israel a thoroughly Jewish nation, to keep it a faithful nation, And so if people would just shape up, the Messiah would come. That's what they believed. And and yet, even with their, you could arguably 
noble motives, in their pursuit, they completely missed the mark. So as we've explored, you know, people thought Pharisees had a really high view of God's law because they were always talking about it, because they thought that they could do it. They were legalists, fundamentalists, and they loved trying to keep it, and they loved trying to enforce it on other people. But in reality, they really had a really low view of God, God's law. Uh, low because they thought they could actually keep it themselves. And, and they missed the fact that the law of God exists for the purpose of revealing our need of a Savior. You know, it's to show us our need of Jesus. All right. Well, as Jesus was talking, a Pharisee invited him to dinner, which I love that. That Jesus somehow, he still got invited by even his most fierce enemies. There was something about Jesus that they were curious about to recline at table. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you've ever been part of an awkward dinner party conversation. Y'all ever been one of those? Um, but this one takes the cake because at the very beginning, before they'd had any appetizers, before even a word had been spoken, Jesus already ruffled feathers. Um, and it's, it's not that Jesus didn't wash his hands before eating, but what Luke is describing here is this ritualistic washing. And so the, the Mishnah uh, is a, an extra-biblical collection of Jewish laws and customs, and, and this is what lays out what they were doing. So if, if you will indulge me for a second, um, from Yadayim 2-3, this is, this is what they're doing right here, quote, and see if, see if you understand this, the hands are susceptible to uncleanness, and they are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand alone and then bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand alone is clean. If he had poured the water over the one hand and rubbed it on the other, it becomes unclean. But if he rubbed, if he rubbed his hand on his head or on the wall to dry it, it remains clean. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Like, like, this is like lawyer speak, I know. But like, this is like the literal law the Pharisee is following right here. Uh, and this is what all truly religious people did during this time. It's this kind of ritualistic, kind of superstitious thing we do before we actually get into the meal. And Jesus, in a calculated affront, he just passed. He said, no, I'm good, which astonished the Pharisee. And I mean, like Jesus, he offends our cultural, religious sensibilities without even saying a word. And so with this Pharisee astonished, that opened the door for Jesus to teach. And here we go, verse 39. Now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus said, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And so with water still dripping from the Pharisees' hands, Jesus said, on the soul level, like doing all this whatever you're doing right now, all you're doing is putting like lipstick on a pig. Deep down, your heart is full of greed, full of wickedness. And, and though this does apply to all of us who kind of put on this good show externally while forfeiting our soul, in this conversation, Jesus is honing in on one particular area of their heart. So one of the biggest gripes of the Pharisees was that other people didn't tithe like they did. 
And so in the Old Testament, it, it did call Jews to tithe a tenth of their money, their grain, and other things as to the Lord. But it was also part of that tithe was going to support the Levite class, right? The Levites didn't get a share of the land in, in the new, in, in the, um, uh, in, well, in the land. And so then the Levites would receive that tithe, and then the Levites paid a tithe on that tithe. All right, so the Pharisees did all that, but they took it even further, even down to the point of the little herbs that grow outside your, your kitchen window. Um, I mean, they, these are the spreadsheet guys. They've got their giving down to the decimal, down to the tenth leaf. And yet on the surface, though they were such faithful givers, and synagogues who had Pharisees in them usually prospered financially, they were such faithful givers, Jesus said deep down, you're really just full of greed. <laughs> Why would he say that? Well, apparently some Pharisees so followed the letter of the law that when it came time for someone else to, who, who needed them, for them to help them, they were stingy, that they neglected to help, they neglected justice and the love of God. First John 3 reminds us that if anyone has the world's goods, if for whatever reason the Lord has blessed you and you're somewhat prosperous, um, and yet you see your brother in need, yet close your heart against him, the rhetorical question is, how does God's love abide in you? So Jesus is saying, look, you're holier than thou tithing charade, saying that, that look, you, you can't help others because you're tithing all of your money. It's really about you holding on to more of your money. So all of your generosity is really is really rooted in greed. The reason you, you all talk about tithing so much is because really you're all about money. That's all you think about. And so in Amos, God reminds them, God said, I hate the show. I hate the show. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept that. Take away from me the noise of your songs, but let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an overflowing stream. You know, wasn't, that was key to Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, right? So Jesus reminds us that we're, if we're in him, he cleanses us on the soul level, which then from the inside bubbles out to the, to the outside into everything in our lives. And in verse 42, Jesus says, this is going to create a kingdom generosity in you. That's way more than a tithe. And so he says, don't, don't stop the tithe. You know, the church ministers in a world in which things cost money. And one of God's provisions for that is the people of God giving to that end. However, Jesus calls his people to do that without neglecting the others, namely justice and offering the love of God to others. Well, unfortunately, for the Pharisees and for us, that's not the only issue of the heart, right? Verse 43, Jesus continues by addressing pride. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, um, which woe is a mixture of anger and sadness kind of put together. He says, For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Whew, talk about exposing hearts here. And now we know this, that their definition of the best seats in church are different from our definition of the best seats in church, because whereas today you could argue in most churches the most popular and highly sought after seats are the one like back there, right? Uh, good luck, I mean, good job acquiring those seats, the best ones. Um, well, back then, 
uh, the best seats for them, the ones that they wanted, were, were, like, were like these seats, the ones up front, not facing the preacher, but facing the congregation. And the Pharisees loved those seats because it meant that all eyes were on them in all of their religious finery. Matthew notes that Jesus even talked about how they made their tassels extra long. So apparently not only did they want to be seen, but they wanted everyone to see what they were wearing as well. And so worship essentially became a fashion show. You know, the latest, the greatest, whatever you're wearing, people, people know what's up by what you're wearing. And we'll come back to that in just a bit. But Jesus continued, he said, and you love greetings in the marketplace. And this isn't just like, hey, how are you doing? But Pharisees loved elaborate greetings. You know how Paul introduced himself, right? As like, you know, he went through his whole like resume. All right, this is how the Pharisees would introduce themselves. They loved titles. The more titles, the more accolades, the more degrees, the better. Because that was their identity. And apparently... Religious types, and I really suppose all of human nature, we, we've always wrestled with this. Charles Spurgeon told his students, he says that he knows pastors who, quote, from head to foot in garb, tone, manner, necktie, and boots are so utterly parsonic, that is, they just look so preachery, that no particle of manhood is visible. Kent Hughes mentioned a friend of his who was asked to preach the sunrise Easter service uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. Huge um, honor. And apparently the previous pastors who had been asked to preach at this service had been, had been something else because the planning committee asked Kent's friend, they said, all right, where can the helicopter pick you up? Because last year's preacher wouldn't do it unless we had a helicopter to, to pick him up. Kent's friend declined. Then they offered him a police escort, but again, Kent's friend just said, look, uh, I'll just get there on my own. My car is perfectly capable of driving me to, to the Hollywood Bowl. Um, lately, there's been a, a social media account called Preachers in Sneakers. Have y'all seen this? Um, that was started really to kind of raise awareness and to expose the extravagant pulpit fashion of, of some high-profile pastors from uh, over-the-top designer suits uh, to gold plate shoes, uh, from robes that would make Joseph's brothers more envious, from high fashion all the way down to designer t-shirts with rare Air Jordans. Um, it's, it's pastoral peacocking uh, is alive and well today uh, in the modern church uh, because people want to be seen. People want to be known, right? And then we could talk about the Christian music industry, right, uh, that takes us to a whole other level. You know, youth conferences when I was growing up were advertised as having a, quote, all-star worship band, right? That the people that are supposed to lead us into the worship of Almighty God, they are an all-star cast of really awesome people. Uh, the same as the Christian super group. You know, I wonder what Jesus would say to things like that. Um, several years ago, some of our members went to a conference in Dallas. Those of you who went, you'll remember um, and for the most part uh, of the conference, the music was led by musicians who, though extremely talented, it, they, they really tried to kind of just get out of the way and just be used of the Lord to kind of help lead the people into worship. Um, but then one day, the church who was hosting got their music team to come out and lead worship. And it was this marked contrast, right? Because it, it almost like they were performing for the Grammys, and it was all about them. It, it seemed to be about their sound, their fashion, their abilities. 
and it just didn't fit, right? And, and look, we could go on and on about the Christian peacocking, but for many churches, titles, just like the Pharisees, are equally important. For some churches, it is extremely important for their pastor uh, to have a, a terminal degree in whatever field of study um, they've been in, and so that they can put doctor on the sign, and so that they can say that their pastor is an expert in, in this. Uh, there's a, a guy I'm friends with on Facebook who just this last week, he posted, uh, and this is the good part, he said, done, master of arts in leadership completed. But then he said this, he says, now I am reverend, doctor, master, master, master. Um, hey, look, this morning we're about to confer some titles upon some of our church officers. Um, the title of deacon, uh, the title of elder men, may it not puff you up, okay? Ironically, the Pharisees left no room for the God that they so meticulously served. Actually, it left no room for real faith at all. Because if you remember in John, Jesus really boiled down the peacocking that we see today. And then, with this question, he asked, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, the, the only worship going on here, the only worship going on here is of yourself, right? What, I mean, what do we care about? How we dress when we come to church, all the things that we say, all the things that we've achieved, is, is probably, is, is it all about you? Remember, God says, I hate this show. I hate this little charade that you have going on. I hate it. Now, you are nothing but glory thieves. And how easy is it, especially in our social media day, to fall in line with the Pharisees? And look, maybe we don't wear long flowing robes with all these tassels, and, or maybe we don't have elaborate titles, but we still can seek glory and significance and identity from one another in the currency of likes and follows and comments and retweets, right? And how easy is it for us and for me to bow at the altar of cheap and we could say vain glory while the only source of true glory and lasting identity is offered in Christ? And so the Pharisees missed what, well, what John the baptizer understood. And, and speaking of titles and prominence, you know, John the baptizer, he, like, he's one of the greatest prophets of all time. Like He's right up there with Elijah, right? Even Jesus said of John that he was the greatest who ever lived. Talk about a reason to be puffed up. And yet, what did this great John the baptizer say? Remember, John said, I, look, I'm not worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. He said that Christ must increase and I must decrease. Um, like I, I'm not like a tattoo guy. Um, but sometimes I wonder, like, if I was forced at gunpoint to get a tattoo, what tattoo would I get? Okay, it's this little game I play when I'm trying to go to sleep. And uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I don't know, but, but sometimes, if, remember that quote from Count Zizendorf? It's like, here's the goal of a preacher. It's preach Christ, die, be forgotten. Like, that's it, right? Nothing compares to the joy, to the freedom of being called a forgiven and beloved child of God. Like, like all the titles and accolades are dust compared to that. And so we joyously cast our crowns, and it's only then, only then that we get that our ultimate significance is in our Heavenly Father loving us, 
that if our Heavenly Father loves us, then that means we don't have to get a PhD so that our earthly dad will be proud of us or will finally take us serious. You know, we, we don't have to rest our identity in whatever degree or accolade or whatever, like, whatever dress that you're wearing. No. But in Christ, in this identity that we have in Him, we're actually free to, to pursue education for what it should be. To pursue education, to become equipped, to steward and develop talents and share those not to peacock, not to make our name great, but so that we can be better equipped to be useful in God's kingdom and to others, right? So that we can push back against the darkness and so that we can make God's name great. But even then, that's not all. As we close, Jesus reminds the Pharisees and us what really all this religious posturing produces. Verse 44, he says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, And people walk over them without even knowing it. Here's what Jesus meant. In the Old Testament, if you came into contact with a dead body, you were deemed ceremonially unclean. And that extended also to the graves of those um, dead bodies. And so if you stepped on someone's grave, even unknowingly, then you were deemed unclean. And that's why Matthew mentions that every year the Jews would go around and they would paint the the tombs, the graves, or they would, quote, whitewash the graves, um, so that the pilgrims coming in for Passover, uh, they would know where not to step, lest they accidentally step on one, become defiled, and then proceed to go into the temple and defile the temple. And so Jesus is saying that these Pharisees are so concerned with their external religion that what they're giving people is actually soul death. And this is what Jesus meant in Matthew when he said in the same interaction, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he calls hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter it nor you allow others to enter, uh, but you travel across sea and land to make a single, a single convert. And when they become a convert, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you. (laughs) So instead of giving them Jesus, they gave moralism. A list of things to do. Even down to tithing of herbs. And Jesus says, all you're doing is raising up children of hell. Well, that's the Pharisees. But Westminster and parents, even what are we raising up? Because it's a scary thing. It's a hard job to raise kids and to, you know, to, disciple, to disciple Christians. Uh, this week, uh, Annie and I were getting Sophie, I, I guess, prepared to meet with the, uh, the session, you know, going, receiving testimonies and profession of faith. And, and we're talking through the gospel, just you know, reminding Sophie that, you know, why did Jesus die for you? Um, well, Jesus didn't die for you so that you could grow up and be a good little girl but he saved you so that you could follow him into life, right? So that you could continue following the Jesus way. And um, Sophie just kept saying that it's so hard for her to drop that, like, I got to be a good girl part, because that's all that she hears, you know, at school, around the world, in the culture. Like, that's what we think. To be a Christian is to be good, right? She says, it's so hard, because that's what everybody else says. All right, are we raising up good little do-gooders. Jesus tells us that if we give others anything other than the gospel of Jesus, namely that you are saved by God's grace alone, 
through faith alone in Christ alone. Anything other than that. And what the gospel tells us is that we are creating a do-more, try-harder monster, twice as idolatrous, twice as self-righteous as we are. And so, what's our way forward then? Well, Kent Hughes says, if you don't have true faith, don't attempt external reform. Don't, don't try to like do more, try harder. That, that's, that will never produce genuine faith. But seek and, and pray that the Spirit would open your heart, would open your eyes to God's grace, and that you would respond by giving Him your old heart. We see that true faith is, is Spirit-wrought. And if you are a believer, then here's something that we could do. Don't settle for the show, please. Don't settle for anything less than genuine gospel teaching and living. Don't settle, like, like, don't settle for the show. See through the peacocking. Settle for nothing less than Christ in you, your hope of glory. As Samuel Rutherford put it, he said, If Christ's love is not in heaven, then I don't want to go to heaven. Because heaven would not be heaven if Christ's love were not there. So y'all, what's ultimate? The ultimate thing is the love of God on you. That in Christ you are beloved of God. And so may your and my primary identity be that. And so this morning is an invitation uh, to coyotes and to peacocks to remember the gospel. To remember that while you were a sinner... Christ Jesus died for you. Okay. Let me pray for us. Father, may you cause us to respond to this message because um, I know that I can be so easily taken in by um, who looks the best, who's doing the best, who's the smartest, who's the whoever has the biggest platform. Uh, but Lord, call us back to the simple gospel. And Lord, may that define everything that we do in our lives and everything that we do proceeds out of that. So Father, we ask that you would bring this message to every, every single heart in this room. And Lord, may our, our primary single defining characteristic be that we are beloved son, beloved daughter, you. So Lord, convict us of sin. Uh, convict us of the ways that we've walked away. Uh, Lord, remind us that shame is such a bully, and Jesus came to cut the legs out from under shame and guilt and condemnation. Uh, may we find our all in all in Christ, and we ask this in his strong name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.